Hey there, deviants. If you've got a case of the winter blues, we've got the prescription just for you. It's another episode of Dark and Devious. Yes, welcome back, Deviants. Um, Patrick here, and as Chris mentioned, uh, some of you may be in winter blues. However, if anyone's listening to us from the Southern Hemisphere, uh, you are in peak summer season. Um, <laughs> and I must say that it is already spring here in Austin. Um, today's high is in the 70s. It's going to be 82 on Wednesday, and I am just so freaking happy. Uh, you are just joking because we're supposed to get another round of snow, like several days of snow here. Like I was just getting used to my driveway being clear. I could see a little bit of the dirt here and there. <laughs> but that's it's it's only February. I've lived here my whole life. I know how it goes. It can go back and forth. I'm just going to deal with it. I also saw that like my friends out in DC, it's going to be 70 out there soon. So uh, maybe I'm going to have to visit some of y'all in warmer places because I'm going to probably be sick of it after this week. Yeah, I I send my condolences. Um, <laughs> They're very four, sincere. Four years <laughs> of that winter up in Minnesota was... Um, Three too many for me. Um, <laughs> so yes, I feel for you. Um, but weather aside, I know that you had an exciting time this week. Yes, I know. This was uh, a wonderful weekend for me. Uh, my partner and I, we celebrated two years together. And so we had a nice little anniversary day yesterday. He took me out to Foga de Chao for brunch which if you have if you've never done fogo to chow for brunch it is wonderful they've got such a great spread and you know you just flip over your little little card on the table and they just bring you delightful delightful meats uh which i know maybe isn't for everyone but me as somebody I was who, say you're talking to a vegetarian i know <laughs> But you would love the the buffet part because they had all sorts like amazing like hummus mm. and like potato salad and olives and all these other great little accoutrements that were so good. It made me wish that uh, I could just take like home a whole box of of stuff from the buffet there. Mm. Um, but we had a really great day together. I. What I love is that we're not big on like, oh, we have to like exchange gifts and and all that stuff for our anniversary. It's like, I just want to spend time with you. And and it was really nice. And <laughs> we also went to the Humane Society to look at dogs. That was As kind of one does kind of on a whim. 
Uh, I was kind of surprised by that uh, proposition, but I was, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to say no. Like, I love looking at dogs. Dogs are wonderful. I mean, I love all kinds of pets. I've had all kinds of pets uh, growing up and whatnot, but I know my partner has a dog that is also a rescue that he would like to have a companion so that they're they could be buddies um so we'll we'll see what the future brings i i know there was one dog we got to spend a little bit of extra time with and we got to like go into the little like pen and just hang out and i think we we made a good impression but yeah i don't i don't know if uh if this is the moment (laughs) <laughs> or not but i'm excited for whatever we end up doing i i think no matter what we'll probably end up with another dog eventually whether yeah. it's sooner or later yeah that's um definitely not a question uh i would turn down either i love dogs um as you know you're uh two of covid when all the straights were having covid babies um <laughs> we had an accidental covid kitten um <laughs> you know we just went to PetSmart and we're browsing and lo and behold little yuna just stole our hearts um and we brought her home to be a lovely companion to our senior cat winnie and um winnie hates every part of yuna's soul so (laughs) but we love Unisol and she loves us so and Yuna wants to be friends with Winnie so bad oh it's definitely like the big sibling complex where the the older one is like leave me alone kid and it's not even like like, I want to be your best friend yeah it's not even leave me alone level like if Winnie could she would murder Yuna (laughs) like she hates her with every inch of her life um but we're happy. <laughs> well, that's exciting. Congratulations on two years together. Um, our anniversaries are pretty close to one another because we celebrated our sixth year um, back in January. Yeah, um, wow. It's like your anniversary, podcast anniversary, and then my anniversary. Mm-hmm. And what then a, maybe a... someday soon an adoptiversary. Right? <laughs> I know. Who knows? Uh well, and then also my partner's birthday is next month. So it's, we're just, we're going to take care of all of these fun things all at once, which is nice to have this stuff to look forward to. And yeah, gosh, sure. today's my mom's birthday. So you know, after we're done recording, we're going to go over to her place. I oh. picked her up some stuff. So nice. she's, and I know she just loves having company. And it's funny. I feel like I'm, just like a grown-up teenager where I'm like, I just want to be independent and like do my own thing. And my mom is just like wanting me to come and visit and talk all the time. And I'm like, I know I need to do that more so that she knows, like sees that I care. Right. <laughs> it's like, and it's not that I don't care, mom. I'm, I just am very independent and trying to do my own thing trying to live my own life here so sometimes I feel like I have to define that a little more yes I was actually just uh talking to my husband today um I fully believe if my mother had her way I would still be single and I would still be living with her Um, (laughs) 
I don't know what it was about my older siblings. She had no problem letting them fly free. But when it came to me, it's like she was probably because I'm the baby, maybe. I was going to say, if you're the youngest, I yeah. think moms have a hard time saying goodbye to the the last little birdie to leave the nest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, but anyways, um, I don't have too much personal stuff to share, unlike you with your two year <laughs> anniversary. But um, I do have another recommendation this week. And, and that would be that I started today um, a true crime docuseries on Netflix called My Lover, My Killer. Um, oh, I think I did see uh, an an ad for that uh, or like a, a, what is it? A preview for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how they, it cycles through, like after you finish the show, it's like, or these other things you might recommendations. like recommendations um it was one of those yeah, yeah. um because i was gonna mention a series after you're done talking about your series um yeah feel free and my lover my killer is um it's the uk so it's straight from uh the motherland as we would say um oh my gosh that that was yeah. atrocious i mean someone <laughs> speaks like that there i'm sure <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I finished episode one. I'm halfway through episode two. Um, so if you, people like true crime and, you know, right after Valentine's Day, what's more romantic than uh, hearing about these awful stories, which honestly, the first story, like, kind of gutted me. Um, I feel Are they uh, complete stories in each episode? Yeah. So one okay. episode is one story. Uh, it's about an hour long each. But the first episode, like, honestly got to me this this person did not deserve what happened to them. Not like many people do out there, but it just, it hit me. Um, so it is a little heavy, just for be forewarned listeners, if you want to check that out. Well, I think we have the right audience to suggest the occasional heavy, <laughs> heavy crime topic. I mean, it's... It can't be any worse than what you hear on the news, right? Exactly. Which, <laughs> speaking of the news, um, I do want to share one thing out of Texas. Yeah. It's not really true crime, but more like, what the hell? So, just this past Thursday, a third grader <clears throat> went into the student restroom at their elementary school. And they found a loaded gun that was left in that bathroom by their principal. Oh my God. What the hell is right? Like, why? Oh my goodness. One, you're the leader of this school when you're the principal. Why are you bringing that in there? Like, exactly. to your school? Like, uh, which it was I mean, an elementary Texan... school, you said, right? Yeah. It was a third grader. Oh my gosh. And and if you do bring something like that in there, like, why are you, you should never take it off your person then. Right. Um. Yeah. So I want to know one, why was the principal walking around with a loaded gun to begin with? Two, mm-hmm. why did they set it down inside of a, any restroom, let alone this, the children's restroom? Um, so all sorts of confusion there. Uh, I'm no doubt this principal will lose their job. 
um, because I go into high schools all the time. And, you know, I grew up in an area and in a time where we didn't have police presence on mm-hmm. in schools where now, you know, I go through metal detectors when I go to my high schools. There's always um, armed police officers there, which to me is just so crazy but it is a sign of this is this is the new normal which is yeah this is the new reality because i mean there's no way no other way to guarantee that that someone's not going to bring a weapon onto a school yeah campus like i i really don't like that this is the world that we're living in and right it's yeah that would be really hard especially if you have to do that regularly Mm -hmm. but yeah so that's my um news of the week (laughs) like that's a what the what exactly uh, kind of moment my goodness um well bringing it back to show recommendations um my partner just finished watching this limited series on Netflix called The Innocent, uh, which is a mis- kind of like a mystery series based on a book by Harlan Coben, who's a really big yep. mystery writer. I love Harlan Coben. Yeah, I, I mean, then this would be right up your alley. I it's it's interesting because it I think it was um, produced in Spain. I think um, I... so. It was du- it was dubbed. It was another one of those like European. Because I I told you how much um, we liked that French one, The Forest, um, and the dub's pretty good. Um, and yeah, it was really, really good. Yeah, and I, I was... agree. I've watched this one. Um, you have seen that one. Okay, I'm not surprised. I actually, Netflix has um, quite a few Harlan Coben series. That's what um, he was saying. And I guess some of them are movies, some of them are mm-hmm, series. Mm-hmm. I've um, watched all of them. They are all great. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely have my favorites. Yeah. But I even the ones that like are not top tier, I still thoroughly enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So there we go. That's like a double recommendation because you could read the book or you could watch the series or you could do both. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for some good mystery uh, entertainment. There you go. Any of the Harlan Coben book slash series would be a good place to start yeah there's a reason why he's a big deal yes he's a very big deal for a very good reason yes well thank you um yeah i thought that i'm glad that uh, that he's so into because i don't necessarily always have enough time to watch those series and it's good to get a second opinion on those (laughs) <laughs> those things because a lot of times like i'll go to bed and he'll stay up for a while and so he, get, he gets things read more or well read and watched he just started this new uh I, I won't reveal a review of it yet because he just started it but there's this first book in a new series that i got from work that's like i got an advanced reader copy of and I'm like, I don't have time to read this right now, but he does. So he started reading it and he said it was really good. So awesome. I'll let you know the final. He'll probably finish it in like two days because <laughs> <laughs> that's how he how quickly he tears through those. Um, I wish I had that that 
ability to just tear through books like that. Um, but yeah, I'll let you know more on that when he finishes it. Awesome. I look forward to that. Um, I'm going to start a new book soon. And then I'm going to start the one you got me once I finish this next one. <laughs> you finally got permission once you finish uh-huh. some of your other. Yes. Other gift books. Yes. Daddy said yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, speaking of mysteries, though. Uh, unless you have anything else to share, I have quite a mystery for you today. Okay. I, you know, all this talk about fictional mysteries, real life mysteries. I'm, I'm ready for the, a full story. Awesome. Well, let's get into it. All right, Chris. So as mentioned, I have a mystery for you. Uh, this is my first story for year two of the podcast. Yay. And I was going to go with something like really big, heavy hitter. Uh, but then I wanted to do a little bit more research on that subject. So I thought, you know, why don't I do a nice um, unsolved case? And I'm going to be telling you about the disappearance of Tara Calico. Ooh, what a one great name. And yes. two, um, it's been a minute since we've talked about an unsolved case. And a disappearance. And a disappearance. So I am very interested. I cannot wait to hear the details on this one. Yes. The last disappearance that I personally covered was that of Brittany Drexel. Um, Which then we got some updates for. Yes, which I don't know if I shared this on the podcast. I should have. But I um, I thought so. But they finally got a confession from a man that was able to lead her lead the authorities to Brittany's remains um, in the swamps. And um, he did um, assault and murder her the same day that she went missing. Um, which... which is so, I, I mean, it's, it's so terrible, but then also it's, at least you don't have to feel like we missed an opportunity to save her that it wasn't like she was held for a while and then and then time ran out yes and also there was the speculation that maybe she was pulled into human trafficking and was being used as against her will as a sex worker and um so it is very tragic that she was murdered at such a young age However, for me, it's a little bit of a relief that she has not been living for years in captivity, um, doing things she did not want to do. Yeah, that uh, like a prolonged horror, you know, and like you said, at this point, it would have been years. That would be it's like that would be so hard to come back from, Mm -hmm. even though we wish that that it would have been a happier ending. I mean, right. at least at least when you know you can start the healing process. Cause I feel like, you know, like if if someone goes missing and you don't know what really happened to them, you know, you can never really fully heal from that because it's like there's a little little thread, a little a little voice that says like they could walk into your life tomorrow. Mm-hmm. you know they could come back and yep. until you know for sure one way or the other if they're alive or dead 
it's so hard to move on because what happens if you grieve this person's loss and then all of a sudden they come back like that's just such a like screws with your mind and your emotions yeah and And so unfortunately that's what we're going to deal with today with tara calico there we go we're mentally preparing ourselves for this story okay so patty dole had finally accepted that her daughter tara calico was no longer a little girl tara was now 19 years old so the days of having her within reach were numbered just a few years prior tara had been a bubbly high schooler She would arrive home and spoil her mom with every last detail of her social life because she was very popular amongst her peers. This was not a shock as Tara was naturally stereotypical beautiful and she put a lot of effort into how she presented herself. Although her daughter's teenage days were over, Patty could not be happier with Tara's transition into young adulthood. Tara was now in her second year at the University of New Mexico, where she was in the honors program. She dreamed of becoming a psychologist so she could help other people with their problems. To help pay for her education, she worked at a local bank as a teller. She also developed a routine with her new life and documented her schedule for her upcoming day every morning. Despite Tara's growth, there were childhood traditions she still loved to share with her mother. One tradition was a routine bike rides along New Mexico State Road 47. Every day at dawn, Patty and Tara biked the 25-mile route. The vision of Tara's hair sailing through the breeze amidst the wires of her Walkman's headphones was a sight Patty would never forget. Similarly, the picturesque landscape of New Mexico desert was a welcome accompaniment for an, a cyclist. However, in the summer of 1988, Patty began to opt out of the bike rides. Some drivers along New Mexico State Road 47 began to harass the mother and daughter duo. Sometimes it was catcalling. Other times, Patty felt somebody was um, following them with ill intent. Ugh, that's... It's like, we're just trying to enjoy a bike ride here. I mean, that's one of the reasons why people love New Mexico is it's beautiful. It's scenic. And they can't even do that in peace. Like, just freaking leave them alone. Yes. Also, like, leave women alone, particularly. Uh, Yeah, that is something that cannot be said. I mean, whether it was 1988 or today, I mean women put up with so much crap just by merely existing exactly tara understood her mother's decision but she still wanted to continue writing it daily patty allowed her to do so but told her she should begin bringing pepper spray tara laughed off the idea because she believed her mother scrutinized the situation far too much i wish she had like spikes she could like throw down like <laughs> right it'd be like oh you're gonna harass me well now you've got a flat tire <laughs> right the morning of september 20th 1988 began like every other tara was up early and getting dressed for her bike ride she had already written down her schedule 
She would embark on her bike ride at 9.30 a.m., meet her boyfriend for a tennis date at 12.30 p.m., and attend class at UNM at 4 p.m. Tara threw on one of her... What was that? I said, that sounds like an amazing day. Yeah, like start the day off relaxed with something you love, go hang out with your little sweetie pie. And then I personally loved college, so I'm sure I would have loved going to class at four. Yeah, I mean, also like starting school at four in the afternoon, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. (laughs) Right. Tara threw on one of her work t-shirts and paired it with a green and white striped shorts and white ankle socks. She headed to her vanity and put on her half-inch golden hoop earrings and two of her favorite rings. Lastly, she grabbed her Avia sneakers and her yellow Walkman before heading to the garage where Patty was waiting. Tara's bike had a flat tire, so her mother let her borrow hers. A bright neon pink Ruffin, which I guess Ruffin is a brand of bikes. And it had sure, I'll, I believe that. <laughs> and it had bright yellow brake cords. So this was the '80s. Everything was like extra, but this is a bright pink bike with bright yellow cords. So it definitely would stand out. Which we love that about the '80s. Exactly. Know. Although I did see a meme once where it was like what people think my bedroom in the 80s looked like. And it's all like bright and neon and like turquoise and pink and green. And it's like what my bedroom really looked like. And it's just an outdated 70s bedroom. Oh, (laughs) yeah. That's accurate. (laughs) Yeah, it's like we were still trying to to like (laughs) get over the last decade. (laughs) Right. As Tara headed out the door, she suddenly stopped and turned to Patty. She said, if I'm not back by 12, come looking for me. She put a cassette tape of her favorite band, Boston, into her Walkman, slipped the headphones on, and pressed play. Patty nodded and watched her daughter bike down the street and towards New Mexico State Road 47, as usual. Tara's parting words weren't particularly alarming, The day had presented her daughter with a tight afternoon schedule. So, of course, she would want her mother to pick her up if she was running late. Patty gazed at the clock. It was 9.30, and Tara was on schedule. Patty continued about her morning, but paid close attention to the clock. Around noon, she anticipated the sound of her daughter hurrying through the door and getting ready for her tennis date. But she heard nothing. Five minutes later, there was still no sign of Tara. Her parting parting words began to resonate. If I'm not back by 12, come looking for me. Ugh. I, that's, ugh. That gives me a chill down my spine just thinking about that. And knowing what we know is going to happen, it's so eerie that that was her last words to her mother. Patty looked at the clock. It was 12.05. She had waited long enough. Worry began to set in. She knew Tara could not have gotten lost because she had traveled that route for years. Had her route been interrupted by some sort of accident? Thoughts raced through Patty's head as she got into her car and began driving along Tara's usual bike route. 
Before every twist and turn, she expected to find her daughter stranded on the side of the road, possibly with a flat tire. However, by the time she reached the end of the route, she had not seen Tara, her bike, her Walkman, or any other sign. Patty called Tara's boyfriend and asked if she had shown up to the tennis court at 12.30 as planned, but her boyfriend said she never arrived. They both knew something was incredibly wrong, as Tara was very detail-oriented, as I mentioned earlier, planning out her day every single morning. Patty, out of options, called the police. The first responding officers arrived at the house, and a, a distraught Patty informed them of the situation. Despite Patty's urgencies, officers said Tara wasn't an adult and had the right to go missing or quote, take a break from her life whenever she wanted. Which honestly is is valid. True. It just is a little alarming when you know the type of person that she is. Mm-hmm. And the, the, like, like you said, she wrote down her schedule every day. I don't think that someone like that would just be like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to like take off for the day. I, it just doesn't sound like that behavior matches up with the personality Mm -hmm. of the person. However, when the officers looked around Tara's room, they saw she had left behind her textbooks and purse. If she had left voluntarily, she planned on returning before her classes started at 4 p.m. However, 4 p.m. came and went, and Tara failed to return and attend her classes. Bellin, which I should have mentioned, is the town where Tara lived. It's a suburb of Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bellin police now believed that she was in danger, and an investigation was launched into her disappearance. Well, and and just by the description so far, and full disclosure, I actually have listened to an episode of a podcast on this case, so I know a little bit. It's been a long time, though. Uh huh. Um, but based on what we've talked about so far, there's already some things that have a cause for concern. Like one, you're biking solo on this, on a road, uh, like a, it was like a highway road, right? Correct. And not like a major, like like four four lanes, but like your normal, like two two lane lane with a yellow stripe in the middle. Yeah. Um, so there's. Like one thing, like, okay, so one scenario is you're biking by yourself and you get injured or, you know, you could get hit by a car, something like that could have happened. And that would be cause for alarm. Uh-huh. Um, and then two, we talked about the, the guys harassing her and her mom when they were biking, like. Who's to say that some pervert who was driving by decides to take advantage of the situation and do more than just catcall? Right, exactly. So those are the first two things that are running through my mind from what we've talked about so far. Exactly. Which I completely agree with you. That's when I was learning about this case, like years ago, I had the same thoughts. On the morning of September 21st, Tara had been missing for nearly 24 hours. Investigators, Patty, 
and groups of volunteers began traveling Tara's route on foot. The expansive desert landscape brought up a rare emotion, dread. The vast stretches of sand and rock went on for miles. Tara could be anywhere under the blinding New Mexico sun. Investigators suggested that the search extend to both sides of the road near which Tara traveled. She could have tried an alternate route or shortcut and got lost. They did find signs of her, but what they discovered was almost a confirmation that something terrible had happened and that it was not an accident. While walking the opposite side of the highway, Patty spotted something on the ground. Upon closer examination, she realized that it was Tara's Boston cassette tape, which appeared heavily damaged, as if it had been knocked out of someone's hand. Well, and especially, like, if, like, obviously she was listening to it, so it would have been inside the Walkman. Right. If there were something would have, like, hit with such a force to eject it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds like it would, and the fact that it was all beat up and damaged, that is definitely cause for alarm right there. Right. The Walkman was later found in pieces a few miles north, but its surroundings were a chilling sight. There was set, there was a set of bike tracks in the dirt and next to them, a set of tire tracks that led to the road. Police were notified of the finding and came to a grim conclusion. They had found signs of Tara, but not Tara herself. These circumstances were that of an abduction. She was likely kidnapped by a passing motorist and broken her Walkman in the struggle. However, Patty saw it differently. She did not disagree that Tara could have been kidnapped, but she believed her daughter intentionally left the Walkman at the scene to indicate she was in danger. Which I like I can... that idea that she's like, I need to leave, like something is happening. And if I'm not able to, to uh, like get away, I need to leave a trail of breadcrumbs. Right. And I can understand where a, a mother, a worried mother would want to believe that my daughter was not gone forever she's these were not left here because of a struggle like my daughter left these so we can find her mm -hmm. i can understand that's just a worried parent trying to find the smallest bit of hope in this situation right Oh, and and the tr the and you said there were like vehicle tracks, right? Yeah, there were vehicle tracks as well as her bicycle tracks. So at least there, it's it's like the the footprints being left behind. So right. I, I even though we know this is an unsolved case going into this, it's like there's got to be something there that can at least point in the direction of a suspect. Mm-hmm, right. But meanwhile, a separate team of investigators began interviewing those close to Tara. At the time, she was living with Patty and her stepfather, John. When interviewed, investigators came to the quick conclusion that Tara had not run away. 
She was super close with both her mother and stepfather, and prior to her disappearance, communicated with them daily. Her relationship with her boyfriend was healthy as well. All three had alibis and were quickly cleared. Investigators branched out to Tara's other friends and as well as other classmates, current and former coworkers, friends from high school, and extended family. Nothing of interest was found. No one Tara ever associated with had problems with her. I mean, it definitely sounds like she was just like such a well-put-together young woman. Like, mm-hmm. she had a, a future planned. She, like, comes off as very caring, especially because of her choice of field of study. She wanted to, like, mm-hmm. help people with their problems. Right. It's like, uh why is this like beautiful young soul like targeted? And it, it's like, you couldn't have picked a kinder sounding person to right. whatever happened to her to, well, to take her from her fam- family. Mm-hmm. I agree. Patty did tell the investigators, though, about the uneasiness she had recently felt from the motorists along New Mexico State Road 47. They knew there were plenty of other potential witnesses, the motorists who regularly traveled that part of the road, so police set up traffic stops near the road and showed passing drivers Tara's photo and informed them of what they believed was an abduction. According to police, several witnesses saw Tara biking along the road on September 20th, but it was also noted that a white truck seemed to be following her. Tara did not seem to notice, likely due to her listening to music on her Walkman. The truck was described as white white or gray, a 1953 Ford pickup with a white shell cap. A description of the vehicle was released to the public, but no one came forward with any leads. Which is weird because that seems like a very specific, I mean, that's basically like a classic car by that, that period, like a, like a, a fifties truck that should stick out like a sore thumb in, you know, the late 1980s. Right. Um, and you know, if it was just a, if it was like an 83 Ford, they would just blend in. But mm-hmm. as you mentioned, a 53 definitely would be something that you notice. Like when I see a classic car, I definitely take notice. Yeah. And that era of cars is just, a, it's got a, a very specific style about it. Yes. So, it you know, cars by the 80s had changed drastically. And when, you know, I'm sure at that point, most of the cars on the road in that area were probably from the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. So it it would have flagged in somebody's memory, you'd think. Right. I mean, people mentioned that they saw it. It's mm-hmm. just no one came forward saying they knew who drove it. Hmm. Or that they themselves drove it, right? Throughout the next several months, police and volunteers conducted numerous searches across New Mexico but to no available. The case began to dominate the headlines and quickly became the biggest story in the state. 
Tara's family used the publicity to their advantage and encouraged people to join the efforts to find her. The case was stagnant until June of 1989. And this time, the development would launch the case beyond New Mexico and international news. On June 15, 1989, nine months after Tara's disappearance, a woman pulled up outside a convenience store. She was a regular shopper, as the store was near her neighborhood of Port, Port St. Joe, Florida, nearly 1,200 miles from Belen, New Mexico. As she got out of her car, she noticed a dirty white Toyota parked in front of the store. It stuck out because she did not recognize the vehicle, and the store had a customer base that was entirely local. After doing her shopping, the woman left the store and noticed the van was gone. However, there was something lying where it had been parked. A Polaroid photograph. Curious, the woman picked up the photo. When she saw the image, her heart dropped. The Polaroid showed two children, a boy and a girl, gagged and bound in what looked like the back of a van, similar to the van, the one she saw outside of the store. The young woman what appeared to be in her late teens or early 20s and had a distinct scar on her leg, whereas the boy was much younger. Both children were making eye contact with the camera when the photo was taken, and the flash from the camera had illuminated the fear in their eyes. You can find this photo online, and Chris, if you would like to take a look at it, and listeners, if you would like to take a look at it right now, please do so. Uh, we will be discussing this photo uh, throughout the remainder of the episode, and then again in our closing comments. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I already brought it up here, and yep, this is... This is a, a very chilling photo. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that um, once you see it, it is like burned into your memory. Yep. And, and like I like I mentioned, I discovered this case years ago and just typing in Tara Calico to my Google search. Like I already had that that photo in my brain. Like mm. it just sticks with you. Yep. The woman quickly contacted the police. Florida investigators asked the woman if she remembered seeing the driver, and she did and believed she saw him leaving the store as she shopped. She described him as being in his 30s and having a mustache. Which, unfortunately, it's the late 80s. And... Every man in their 30s has a mustache. Yeah, unfortunately. The news of this photo caught the attention of local media and ended up becoming a national news story. Several speculated about who was in the photo. That was until a grief-stricken family said they knew who one of the children was. And one of the children being the boy, as their missing son, Michael Henley. Michael had mysteriously vanished just months before Tara and no trace had been found of him for nearly a year. Like Tara, he disappeared in New Mexico, so news coverage of the Polaroid began to intensify within the state. 
In July of 1989, Patty saw the report and called the police in hysterics. The girl looked exactly like Tara. Not only did her daughter resemble the girl in the photo, but her mother knew that she had a scar in the same location as the uh, woman in the photo. Additionally, if you see on the photo, there is a book sitting next to the young girl or young woman, and this book was My Sweet Audrina, which coincidentally is one of Tara's favorite books. Well, that is really an interesting little tidbit. Uh, When you see something when you have a photograph to work with it's like the whole image is a puzzle mm-hmm. like any little thing can be the clue that cracks this wide open and the fact that that book was one of her favorites is a pretty big clue i think mm-hmm. and you know you hear about people that get held in captivity for years where um, their captives do tr- not always, but sometimes try to make that person comfortable in captivity. Mm-hmm. And if Tara's um, abductor knew or learned that she loved this book, maybe that person got her that book, you know, so she would have some um, resemblance of normal life, some comfort while she was being held against her will. I mean, it it definitely makes sense where it's like, okay, what's something that can keep her quiet that, uh, you know, basically won't draw attention to her. Right. Where it's like, if it's like, well, if you're going to be held in captivity, and I mean, this is, (laughs) you know, it's not like you can have like a movie to watch in, in the back of a van. Um, so having a book is probably like the only little bit of comfort you could have. Right. Yep. The investigators on Tara's case examined the photo for any clues. The film it was captured on was not available until May of 1989. So this was a recent photo. On the side copy of the book, My Sweet Audrina, a scribble of what appeared to be a phone number was visible. Investigators tried to make out the numbers, but could only make out a few. 300 possible phone numbers were drafted, which 57 were registered numbers. Hmm. They reached out to police in Port St. Joe, Florida, and urged them to ask the community if they recognized the girl in the photo. Port St. Joe police said that during their initial investigation, a group of witnesses claimed they saw the girl at the town's beach shortly before the Polaroid was discovered. She was accompanied by several Caucasian men who gave her verbal orders, which she did not protest. The witnesses also said the boy in the photo was not with the girl and the male Uh, companions at the beach on september 20th 1989 one year to the date after taurus's appearance a segment dedicated to her was aired on the famed series unsolved mysteries love that show i do too such a great show and the 
they also have a podcast that I listen to. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a rebooted Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. This episode brought Tara's case back to the headlines, and the Polaroid was once again a heavy topic of discussion. There was devastating news, though, just a few months later. Michael Henley, the boy who was also in the photograph and the parents believed to be him, his remains have been found in the Zuni Mountains, not far from where he disappeared. Investigators concluded that the boy had wandered off from his campsite and died of exposure shortly after he vanished in 1988. Which is so sad. And the small uh, silver lining there is that that was not him in the photograph. Exactly. And that it's, at least he wasn't being held in like trafficked or something like that. And that's mm. like the only... The only silver lining to that, it's still sad because it's like, well, you still lost a child regardless. Yeah, and, and can you imagine being those parents and like after a year getting a huge wave of hope? Yeah. Only to be completely devastated. And added to this, um, since it was determined that the photo was taken in 1989 by the film used, there's no way that Michael could have been the boy in the photo. Yep. There was still hope, however, that the girl was Tara, but at a grim cost. There had been no other developments in her case. Patty herself said she was convinced Tara was in the photo. All of the FBI said it was impossible to determine. Over the years, the photo was examined by several investigative agencies, including the Scotland Yard, which believed the photo was indeed of Tara. Hmm. However, others, like the Los Alamos National Laboratory, said it was not her due to the basis on the no structure alone. And and that's that's the one thing where I'm I'm looking at a close-up of of just like a headshot, like a school photo of Tara, and then like a like a close cropped picture uh, or like close cropped image from the Polaroid. And they do look remarkably similar, but I it is the nose that yes. to me does not match up. Um, the the young woman in the Polaroid, it seems like she has um almost like kind of like a wider um I don't know I'm like it's wide like a wider end of the nose mm -hmm. like like a wider tip of the nose. Yeah, and, and like the bridge of her nose seems it isn't quite as as delicate as the one in the photo of Tara. I completely agree. Um, I guess the, the thing that got me is um, Chris can see, but obviously viewers can't. So try to visualize. Uh, there's a point around your eyebrows where your nose actually like dips in before it comes back up. And... Tara's was noticeably dipped in at like eye level where the one in this Polaroid dips in at eyebrow level. Mm -hmm. Um, So the only thing I can think is that maybe it's the angle. It's the lighting. It is tough. It's like to compare a, like a professional headshot or like an, like a normal candid photo of, of her to this 
staged one on a like noticeably different quality. Right. And it's like also is the person facing straight forward? Are they facing sideways? Are yep. they like half facing forward? Is it like a diagonal shot? There's a lot of things that play into it. But for the next 20 years after this was all uh, brought up, the case remained stagnant. Although new developments were rare, its level of recognition withstood the test of time. Patty and her family were forced to adjust life without Tara, which I'm sure was anything but easy. In 1998, 10 years after Tara's disappearance, her family made the gut-wrenching decision to have her legally declared dead. Oh, that, yeah, that would be a very hard thing to come to terms with because, yeah, it, you're, you're, in a way, I'm sure it feels like you're giving up hope, even though you want to believe that you will never give up hope that they could mm-hmm. come home right. alive. And you are having to confront the the reality of the situation which is if she hasn't been found in 20 years well that was 10, it, 10 years oh this was at the 10 year mark yeah um if she hadn't been found in 10 years what are the odds of it's like with each passing year the odds get slimmer and slimmer yeah. that you are going to get the outcome that you are hoping for exactly And even a little bit sadder, as uh, we mentioned earlier, people not ever getting answers. Patty did uh, sadly pass away in 2006. She never found out what happened to her daughter after she left for her fateful bike ride in 1988. I I don't like whether you're religious or not. Like, I hope that when I kind of hope that when you die, you like the secrets of the universe are revealed to you. Yes. Like, I hope that like on, you know, whatever happens after you die, like, I hope that she, like all the answers were just like laid out for her. Cause that would, that would be like the only bit of like peace there. Exactly. I agree. Or like, you know, if there is an afterlife again, whatever you will, people believe religiously, if there is an afterlife, if Tara had been taken from this world, it would be great if like her mother's soul were to um see Tara and yeah afterlife. to be reunited. Yeah. That that would be nice too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But every everybody believes something different. So <laughs> right. We're we're leaving the the door open to interpretation there. Exactly. It was in 2008, just two years after Patty passed away, and 20 years after Tara disappeared, that Valencia County Sheriff Rene Rivera, who had worked as the case lead investigator up until 1996, publicly stated he believed he knew what happened to Tara. He said two informants had come forward and claimed four teenage boys were responsible for Tara's death. Allegedly, the boys were inside the pickup truck that was following Tara. At some point, the boys accidentally hit her uh, with their vehicle, knocking her off her bicycle and damaging her Walkman. 
The boys got out, realized that she was still alive, and killed her in a panic. Ugh, I mean, it, it, this is a horrible scenario, but I can totally picture this like you know it but just it just makes me wonder like what in the world is going on in your mind that that your first instinct is not to be like oh crap we screwed up but we can bring her to a hospital and save her life well you'll see that (sighs) that kind of gets brought up a little bit yeah uh because that would be you know it sounds like this theory sounds like okay i could totally see that teenage boys hooping and hollering like being misogynistic like little turds and ogling her and then they get too close and they hit her with the car and then they're they're they feel like they're in too deep so they you know they take it way further Hmm. I mean, it's happened before. I've read about this before, where there was no reason other than just to get yourself out of trouble. Mm. But anyways, uh, the sheriff then claimed that these boys placed her body and bicycle into the truck, drove to an unknown location in Valencia County, and they buried Tara's body and disposed of her bike. Rivara wasn't finished, though, with this claim because he also believed that the boy's parents participated in the cover-up when they heard of the crime. And he further to say that he knew the names of the boys, but without a body, could not arrest them or reveal their identities. Oh, give me a break. Come on. It's like, we have no other leads. Can we just please pursue this? Exactly. It's it, at least... You have at least a tiny bit of probable cause because it was an informant, right? Mm-hmm. That, like, doesn't that count for anything? Can we just please, please follow up on this? Exactly. But they did not. And the reactions to Rivera's claims were very mixed. Some believed that this was impossible given the Polaroid while others believed it began to re- and began to research the boy's possible identities. John, Tara's stepfather, was outraged. He said it was irresponsible for the sheriff to throw out theories without any additional action. If the allegations were to be true, John said Sheriff Rivera had enough circumstantial evidence to charge the boys with Tara's murder, even without her body which we've seen that time and time again. I mean, even if it just gave you the the opportunity to be like, okay, well, we're going to look for some physical evidence. You know, uh, let's look for this vehicle. Let's, mm-hmm. right. let's look at uh, articles of clothing and see if there's DNA evidence on it or something. Yeah. You know, because if you're moving a body, like some of that hair is going to get on you. And it's like, it's all it takes is something as small as like a strand of hair that could lock it down. Or also, if you don't want to make these names public, interview them privately. See, out of all of these um, possible suspects, do their stories line up? Mm-hmm. 
Do they? Because if you've got an alibi and you've got everybody telling the same story, well, then that that says one thing. But if all these stories don't line up, then you can start pulling at the threads and watch the sweater unravel. Right. And granted, it was 20 years later. You mm-hmm. asked me what I did last week. I don't know. <laughs> um, but so there definitely probably would be some inconsistencies given the time length, but at least try. Yeah. I mean, it... they did not do because three years after making this claim, Sheriff Rivera left office without making any arrests. I hope he at least left like all of the notes behind for <laughs> his his uh whoever follows him uh could follow up on but something tells me that it's not that simple. No, it's not. But in 2003 or 2013 rather, a man made a confession on his deathbed that actually corroborated this theory. According to police reports, a man named Henry Brown reached out to investigators. He was terminally ill and said he had to get something off of his chest. He knew what happened to Tara Calico, and he knew who was responsible. Shortly after Tara's disappearance in 1988, this man, Henry, was spending time with his friend Laurent Romero Jr., who was also a classmate of Tara's. On that particular day, Henry, Lawrence, and their friend Dave Silva were making fajitas and drinking margaritas in Lawrence's basement. Henry suddenly had a, quote, weird feeling and looked at the floor. He saw what looked like a small lump, possibly the size of a human, wrapped in a blue tarp. And Lawrence drunkenly revealed the grave belonged to Tara Calico, his classmate. Wait, so where where were they again? They were at um, a friend's house down in the basement. Um, they were in Henry. So Henry is the informant here, Lawrence Romero Jr. So they're at Lawrence's house and they were just like drinking, having food. And that's when Henry noticed like this lump on the floor. Oh, and... so there was like an uneven part of the yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. of the and of the floor in the blue tarp. So it's you know it's like not a natural floor. It's like not flat anymore. There's like a weird little like bump there, and he's like, "What's that?" And the tarp, and he apparently in a drunken state, Lawrence Romero Jr. said that is uh, the grave of Tara Calico. Interesting. So I feel like that's something that could be very easily confirmed. Or- where like all you have to do is like find this house and you could do some maybe ground penetrating radar or something like that to see if there is something that's concealed in the basement floor. You and, would think so. And then if it doesn't show anything, well then the story doesn't match up. And if it does show something, well then it's time to excavate. You would think that, right? See, but... I could totally I could totally be a sheriff. I mean, yeah, you have the credentials already because you know (laughs) what to do. But for some reason, trained sheriffs and investigators don't always do what is the obvious. (sighs) But the then stunned Henry listened as Lawrence Romeo Jr. graphically explained how he, he and his friends had abducted, 
assaulted, and murdered Tara. According to Lawrence Romeo Jr., he, a friend, another teen, um, which was described as being a tall redhead, followed Tara in their truck, which was a 1950s white or gray vehicle, and that the teens were classmates of Tara and that they were familiar with her bike route because they followed her regularly. Oh, I hate that. Yeah, it's gross. Um, He further did say that they accidentally got too close and struck her with the vehicle, which knocked her off of her bike. However, instead of stopping to get her help, the three ran out of the truck and forcibly forced her into the vehicle before she had a chance to fight back. Lawrence continued to say that they drove to a gravel pit, ordered Tara to step outside where they sexually assaulted her, and then after the assault, she angrily screamed that she would report them to the police. Enraged, they retrieved a knife from the van, and or from the truck rather, and ordered the others to restrain Tara. And Lawrence says that he stabbed her to death as they held her down and that her body was hidden nearby in the bush and her bike was discarded in a junkyard. How do things escalate so quickly? And like, how do you get three young men to just all get on board? It's like, is this some weird like madness you know you know like when like people just yes anding to one person who's like fueling the fire basically mm-hmm. and then it's like well once it's done then like you're you're bound to this like nobody can say anything because they're all going to be held accountable exactly uh you hit the nail on the head because When asked how four people could keep such a dark secret, Henry claimed that there was a cover-up within the law enforcement. One of the Uh, as if we needed another another bad law enforcement situation because we've seen this in other cases too, where either the the people investigating don't care about the victims, so they just like don't really try that hard to solve the case until it like really like pile bodies pile up or mm-hmm. you know or if someone is involved <laughs> look at the golden state killer <laughs> very true points there uh but as mentioned someone in the law enforcement covered up can you guess who that would be Ooh, was it maybe this sheriff who strangely didn't pursue any of these leads um, ding ding, you win because one of the perpetrators was allegedly related to the county sheriff at the time, hmm. Rene Rivera, who was the person who mentioned that there, he knew who had done it, but could not release the names. Ugh, it's like, just give me a freaking break here. Right. And although there was no information to back up this informant, Henry's account, the circumstances seem to match all the available evidence. Unfortunately, and this is like a really like big stab in the heart, all three of the named men that Henry mentioned passed away 
before this confession was made. Oh, this is just too weird because it sounds like they were young people at the time. So you would expect them to still be alive 20 years later. Mm-hmm. So what happened? <laughs> what happened to these guys? I mean, they sounded like they weren't really on a great path in life. So mm-hmm. who knows? Hopefully they did not do it. It sounds like maybe they did. Um, and if they did, hopefully justice got its dessert. And if they didn't, hopefully they just went peacefully. So over the years, the case has been heavily discussed online. Several articles and videos take in-depth approach to Taurus's appearance, and several theories exist. There is still debate of, of if the girl on the Polaroid was Tara, and the public opinion seems to be mixed. It has now been 30... How many years? We are in 23... It has now been 37 30, years? Uh, 34, because it was 34. 1988, right? Yes. Okay, 34 years. Thank you, mathematician. Well, uh, um, mainly because I was born the year after, so... Oh, oh I should just use my age. I'm going to be 35. <laughs> okay, so it's been 34 years since Tara's fateful bike ride. But she is anything but forgotten. Most only sleuth believed Henry's story is the closest to truth, which I personally also believe, um, just because Henry's story aligned with what the other informant said prior to his story. And then also there's such the huge debate over is that Tara and the Polaroid or not, and also due to Michael not being the actual boy in that Polaroid. Yeah, it would it would make more sense if they were both two missing people from around the same time, from the same area. But then, when you when you eliminated one case, when the remains of the boy was were found, then it's like okay, it's it doesn't match this particular person, so it's somebody else, and that could be anybody from any like any other place. I I think I remember seeing that uh, there was another comparison that the little boy in the photograph looked very similar to a missing boy from Alaska who um, also, or who went missing in um, the earlier part of 1989. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one seems to be pretty, pretty accurate. It looks, it looks very similar again, it's an old Polaroid, so the quality isn't ideal. But that that one, it seems to be the closest match. In but my if it's opinion. not that boy from Alaska, who's the girl? Yeah, and it's like, like I can imagine there are lots of of missing young women mm-hmm. that it could be somebody else. Yes. Yeah, but in the the. The Polaroid is just such a weird facet, you know, whether it is related to this case or not. It's like, who documents this? Like, why would you, like, one, why would you document it and potentially, like, produce evidence for your crime, you know, if you are holding these children or these young people uh, hostage? Or is this just some weird 
I don't know, punishment or yeah, I'm I'm really stretching for ideas here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you're not alone because as everyone continues to wait for answers, the people closest to Tara, her surviving family members, and her surviving friends, they want to honor the type of person that Tara was. Mm -hmm. um, the accomplishments that she made in just 19 years proved that she had potential to make a huge difference in society. She was a very loving family member, a very devoted friend, um, and a very bright young woman with a wonderful future in front of her mm -hmm. and unfortunately that's where we end we don't know um if her life was taken that day if she was held captive for some time or if she is still out there you know against her will mm -hmm. um similar to what we discussed at the top of the story i hope for her best interest that she is not still held captive out there. Yeah. You know, it's it's tragic that if that is the case, she was taken taken out of this world at a very young, promising age. But in the situation, I feel that would be the best for her. Mm -hmm. I I am I definitely think that she was probably she was probably killed, whether that was from uh, vehicle collision or whether somebody physically did it themselves. I mean, I could totally see even if the like murder scenario um is not true. I could definitely see someone just being scared, be like, I hit somebody with I I like injured someone really badly with my car. And just being too afraid and then just like trying to get rid of the evidence that they ever did anything wrong. And the 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 sad thing is that the New Mexico desert is vast. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if you had the person who might have left a body in the desert, it's, you know, one spot of the desert can look a lot like another. And in those dry conditions like that, it is very easy for a body to just turn to bones, I'm sure, out there. and Or, like, even more, like, morbid, be, like, picked apart by scavengers. Yeah. Like, is I mean, it even where the body was last left? Yeah. Or has it been dragged 50 feet, 100 feet, more than that away? Yep, there's also, I mean... That's how nature takes care of dead things. So that doesn't make it any easier either. Um, oh man, this one is just, it's such a tough case to, and especially when you think about what a, a bright young person she was. Yes, and I, um... and I just hope that those kids in the photograph are, because they never definitively identified them. No, they didn't. Those, um, I hope that those kids are okay out there somewhere. I mean, you'd think that someone would be able to come forward and be like, that was me in the photograph. That was this situation or whatever, you know? Yeah, and like, <clears throat> I saw um, while researching that there were people saying that if you look at the shoulders of these people, it's too relaxed to be actually bound behind them. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look at their facial expressions, like, yes, their eyes are like big and wide, but the rest of their face does not show fear. Yeah, so it I've almost is kind of like an a, annoyed face. Yeah, like I've even seen theories where these photos are staged. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's not even real. Like these are not kidnap victims. These are just people doing a photo shoot. Art has been brought up. You know, there's all sorts of like art pieces that push the limits. Mm-hmm. So is that even real kidnap victims in the photos or not? If they are real kidnap victims, is one of them Tara, the other that boy from Alaska? Honestly, no one knows. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just one of those things where, similar with Brittany Drexel, I think it's gonna take actually a deathbed confession or finding remains to solidify an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I it definitely has think. Been, it- 34 years now Mm -hmm. i think someone's gonna come have to come across some remains you're right i think there's gonna have to be some like weird you know like uh happenstance where someone is off in the desert and they find human bones or something like that and that would be somehow definitive but yeah just really really makes you wonder and i'd still like to know if there was really anything under that basement floor in that right house. it's like they found that they they had the, they had that confession but they didn't dig it up which... right and you don't even have to dig it up you know we've got technology to <laughs> to figure out if there is something under there right so it's a frustrating case, but I'm really glad that we talked about this one. Tara Calico is such a, a haunting case. Uh, another young woman taken out of this world, possibly way too soon, taken away from her family, at least. Right. And it is interesting to look at the evidence that we do have and to you know, we get to play detective a little bit because your guess and my guess is just as good as anybody's, I think. Um, And I think that is one thing that drives us in the true crime world. I I think we'd like to think that we can come up with the answers. So, and this is one that we'll continue to try and figure out until someday there's definitive proof that she is alive or dead exactly um so our listeners if you have a theory please let us know um also if you have any like tips or um any information on tara's disappearance please contact the new mexico state police tara was declared dead but they are still taking tips um and any any leads that could lead to an answer or to an arrest of anyone that might have been possible. Um, and if you would like to see photos of Tara, uh, please check out our socials on Facebook and Instagram at Dark and Devious Podcast. I will be posting, as we mentioned, a nice, clean headshot of Tara, but also that haunting Polaroid. Just let us know your thoughts. And yep. hopefully we all 
can get an answer soon. Yeah. And hopefully and her family, most overdue. importantly, will mm-hmm. get an answer soon. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for covering this case. This one yeah, is one that will stick with you. And I know it has definitely stuck with me since I first heard about it. Yeah, those those missing people, they've got to be somewhere. Exactly. And it's why we have to keep telling their stories. Exactly. Yep. Well, if that is all you've got, is there anything else you'd like to share or... Nope, I got nothing else other than to tell our lovely deviants that we love you. Thank you for coming. And until next time, bye. bye!